You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Since the topic today is about moving from cynicism to faith, I thought we'd just start by talking a little bit about what cynicism and faith are and just taking a deeper look at both of these things. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Music. <laughs> so what is cynicism? So cynicism is an attitude of pessimism. It's a jaded mistrust of others and their motives. And it's often due to thinking that others are always motivated by selfish concerns. Someone struggling with cynicism may be critical. They may be quick to find fault in others. Um, and it can also look like a deep-rooted unbelief. Uh, it can look like a lack of hope that... Um, things can change, or things will change, or that people can or will change. It can manifest itself as mistrust of God's motives and uh, disbelief that God is even real or present or active in our lives. So, yeah. So the question is, where, where does cynicism come from? Like when we're kids, we're not born with this kind of attitude. We're born believing that anything is possible. We're really quick to believe in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, even in God. And we're not prone to mistrusting people's motives. But where does it come from? So one thing is that we live in a rationalistic, independent culture. And in the secular age where we live, cynicism is usually, or cynicism, or at least skepticism, which may be one step before cynicism, um, is highly celebrated. Um, and the tricky thing about cynicism is that it can sometimes present itself as just being realistic, or just being honest, or just being logical, and just seeing reality as it really is. And facing the facts as they are. And in some ways, this is really good. God wants us to live in truth. He doesn't want us to live in uh, fantasy. But the challenge is that in a post-Christian world and in a place where secularism and rationalism are highly valued, um, cynicism can often creep into the church and um, we come to a place where we end up knowing better than to believe uh, in things that maybe are out of our own frame of reference. After all, fairy tales, they're not really true, and it's uh, valued in our society to just face reality as it is. And um, what can be trusted is what we can see with our own two eyes or what can be tested scientifically. And so cynicism, the problem with cynicism is that it doesn't leave room for anything outside our own experience. Some people may say that's a good thing. Um, so where does this come from? Um, as we said before, we're not born as cynics, usually. Well, actually, no one. No baby is born with cynicism. Um, but as life goes on, we begin to, and we begin to see things play out in life. Sometimes we see that our own or others' hopes or ideas or ideals come up short. 
and loss and disappointment leave us with questions that are unanswered and fear and unbelief can set in. And then when we hear people talk about similar hopes or ideas or ideals, or when we're approached with new situations that seem similar to the ones where we have experienced disappointment in the past, we start to have a hard time believing that it will be different this time. Maybe you've had faith that God could heal or change you or someone you know, and it didn't happen. Maybe you've opened your heart to someone and they turned their back on you or betrayed you or abandoned you. Maybe this was your experience of church or friends or family. And maybe you were hoping or believing that a certain outcome for something and things just didn't turn out the way you experienced or expected. So I know I've experienced all these things and I'm pretty sure that each of us have experienced one or a few of them as well. And so sometimes when things like this happen, we make vows in our heart, maybe not even consciously, to not be fooled again by believing. We begin to believe that deep down inside, and sometimes this isn't even a conscious thing, that the reality is others, including God, will let us down and won't be there for us in our deepest needs. But the irony of it all is that cynicism is actually a type of faith. It's a deep confidence that you know and you have the ability to judge the outcomes of a situation or the ideas and motives of others. And it's us saying, I know what will happen because of this, in brackets, disappointment or this letdown or this failure or this hurt. Um, you can insert whatever is appropriate there for you. So I know what will happen because of this. Be I know what will happen because this is what happened before. Or I know what won't happen because I tried before and it didn't work. Or I tried it before and I failed. Or I tried to trust them or people like them and they failed. So what's the cost of this way of thinking and believing and this faith um, that we know what the outcome will be? And the problem is that if we can't trust other people's motives or even God's, we're left with only having ourselves to trust and have faith in. And we end up self-defined, self-reliant, which can sound really good in theory and will be applauded by most people in our world probably, but in the end it robs us from experiencing the fullness of life and love and it robs us from intimate relationship with God and the people around us. We end up having a hard time encouraging others in places where we are doubting or have experienced loss. And it would be difficult to believe it could happen for them, either because it never happened to us, or it would be difficult to believe that it could happen for them because it might be too painful for us to watch if it did happen to them if it didn't happen for us. Often, we would rather remain in cynicism than be fooled or disappointed again. It feels like the safer route Cynicism is a safety net, um, just one of our human ways of protecting ourselves from being disappointed, being let down again, or from feeling the full force of your failure. But the sad thing is that in protecting ourselves from the possibility of being disappointed again, is that we are robbing ourselves from all kinds of possibilities for change, for new life, because the opportunity for change in new life are being dismissed with all the things we are protecting ourselves from. So they both go out the door. And as we've already talked about, like God is all about wanting to bring death to life. So we're missing out in protecting ourselves.
And the very things that we desire may be hidden under the things we're avoiding because people have hurt us, or be, and they may be beyond where we can see with our own two eyes. So as Stephen Colbert says, <laughs> cynicism, Colbert, oh, sorry, Colbert, Colbert, I'm so not... Like, yeah. <laughs> Cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it is the farthest thing from it because cynics don't learn anything. Because cynicism is self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world because we are afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. So that's a pretty scary place to be because it masquerades as wisdom. We, and like I said before, it seems like the right thing to do believe. It seems like reality, but in that we can be deceiving ourselves and rejecting something that actually God is trying to give us because we are afraid of the hurt and disappointment. So let's talk for a minute about what faith is. So faith, by contrast, is a deep confidence that I don't know everything, that there is a possibility for something to happen that is outside of myself or my frame of reference, or what I've experienced, or what I've not experienced before. As Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, this is in the voice translation of the Bible, um, faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are realities that you've never seen. It was by faith that our forebears were approved. Through faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, Everything we now see was fashioned from that which is invisible. So, as it says here, it's the faith is the belief that something that might seem impossible could be very well possible. There is a God who created the universe, and he created it out of absolutely nothing. Well, nothingness. We don't know. We weren't there exactly how it all happened, but he created everything that is visible right now out of things that were not visible before. And it says here that if you read Hebrews 11, oh, it's not one. It's Hebrews 11, sorry. Uh, in Hebrews 11, it talks about all the people of faith that, that were kind of heroes of faith in the Old Testament and how they inherited the promises of God. So this kind of faith, this belief in something that you haven't seen was what caused them to actually be approved and say that, oh, you, you are in right relationship with God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, a little bit further down, says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if you read Hebrews 11, it unpacks how these people of faith were um, going through a lot of, they went through a lot of things if you actually read the story, but they were earnestly seeking and this is what pleased God. So in order to have a relationship with God, Faith is essential, and it's what pleases him, and it's part of what loving him looks like. And what's encouraging about this verse is that when we earnestly seek him with an open heart, there is a reward for it. Mark 11, verse 22 to 24 says, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So without having faith and 
um, believing in our heart, we might miss out on receiving things that God wants to give, like the power to move mountains in our lives and our city, whatever that might look like for you. And we can miss out on being a part of the change that God wants to bring in our city and world. So the idea, we're going to be unpacking that scripture in Mark, but this idea that all things are possible is one that's repeated several times in Mark's gospel. And we're going to look at that as we go along. So pay attention to that. Um, So the question remains, how do we move away from cynicism towards faith? Cynicism has a high cost. Faith is what God desires for us. And um, the cost of not having faith is pretty high uh, because it's essential to fulfilling the plans and the purposes God has for our lives. So how do we move from cynicism towards faith? And maybe as we go through this, you wouldn't consider yourself cynical, but every person and human being has places of unbelief in their hearts where it's hard to have faith. So even if you wouldn't see yourself as having deep-rooted unbelief and that you would label cynicism, I encourage you as we unpack this story um, to look at the journey that the man and the story makes, the journey the people in this story make, um, because I think it's key and uh, it points towards some things that um, we can do to prevent cynicism from rooting itself in our hearts. So first, what is, what is faith? Uh, what is the movement from cynicism towards faith not? So um, moving from cynicism to faith is not about pumping yourself up to believe something that you don't actually believe. It's not simply positivity exercised by your own willpower. Um, what's interesting when you read the book of Mark and uh, the other gospel stories, you see that some of Jesus' followers, Peter is one in particular, saying that they believe and that they will never deny Jesus and that they will not turn their back on, like this really, I'm in it and I know I'm in it uh, kind of faith. But unfortunately, Peter's lack of self-awareness of what was really going on in his heart and his lack of humility and understanding and listening to Jesus as Jesus tried to point out the things that were going on deeper, um, because of this, he actually misses the opportunity to address this or he misses it at first. We know, well, if you read on the story, he gets it eventually. But at first he misses it. And the kind of faith, that faith, so to speak, um, that's like pumping ourselves up to believe, it actually doesn't hold up when the going gets tough or in the face of trial. And like I said, Peter ended up denying Jesus in his darkest hour. And uh, it, it, luckily it caused him to learn some things. But uh, what we don't mean is that uh, moving to cynicism towards faith isn't, Moving from cynicism towards faith is not pumping yourself up to believe and just have faith and like, you know, conjure it up from somewhere that's not genuine. So let's look at the story in Mark 9. Um, I'm going to read a bit of it. So it says, teacher, um, the father says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? 
and he said from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. So what did you guys discuss? You can shout out some answers. What was the boy's situation? Like, what did it look like? What are some words to describe what he was going through? A few of you want to shout out what you guys came out with. He was lonely, terrified, hopeless, tormented. Anything else? Yeah. So it was a pretty chaotic situation. And it had lasted for a long time since this kid was in childhood. And yeah, it was pretty intense. And what was the father going through? in this story. How would you describe his situation when he came first? He was desperate. Heartbroken. Helpless. Pardon? Yeah. He believed enough to actually bring the son to Jesus and to his disciples. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He had enough belief that he tried it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else? Oh, something spilled. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so here's a worried father who had to deal with a situation, a situation where his son was in this crazy chaos and it was since he was a child. He would convulse, fall onto the ground, roll around, foam at the mouth. It threw him into fire and water. Can you imagine what that father was going through? How would you feel if you were a parent? Like we can look at these stories and kind of think about them as, you know, far off. But if you actually thought about being a father, and I'm sure your parents here can relate to this more than the rest of us, but it's like, it's chaos. And we can sympathize um, with the man in this story. Most of us probably have not experienced the chaos of having a son who is epileptic and having a spiritual oppression as extreme as this boy's. But there are other things in our lives which can look and feel like chaos. And some of them have been in our lives since we were kids. And perhaps you, like the father in this story, have come to the point of questioning well, it says, he says here first, he says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And he asked his disciples to cast it out and they were not able. But yeah, perhaps you like the father in this story have come to a point of questioning if God is able to change these things. Um, and the man in the story, he's desperate. He's probably tried everything. He's sought medical help. He's probably asked for help. And he comes to, the, to Jesus followers and disciples knowing that they can heal and have healed in the past. And he trusts them. He actually comes believing, okay, they can do this. And he trusts them. But the sad thing is they didn't. They fail him. So he comes in vulnerability saying, okay, this is probably my last chance. It didn't work. So what did the man do after this? And what can we learn from him? So, well, first we see this... um, Yeah, so first he speaks about his situation and where he is at honestly and candidly. So he's coming to Jesus as he is without any religious jargon or pretending he's somewhere that he's not. 
he simply says, this is what happened, and this is my need, and the disciples weren't able to fix it. So when Jesus um, hears his father's plea, uh, he says, bring him to me, after calling them out, the disciples out on their lack of faith, or it, I don't know, is it the disciples' lack of faith, his lack of faith? It's hard to totally tell. It's a the generation <laughs> that is faithless, which we can kind of relate to living in a cynical world or one that values rationalism. We're a pretty faithless generation overall too, I think, um, in terms of things of um, relationship with God. But um, when Jesus hears the Father's plea, he says, bring him to me. So, I think what we can learn from this is that um, Jesus invites us to bring the thing that has caused us pain and chaos in the place, places where we have tried and failed directly to Jesus and doing it again after maybe trying it before in different ways. He asks us to bring these things as they are to Jesus. So the movement towards faith begins by bringing the very thing that is the potential source of cynicism and unbelief to Jesus himself. So what happens? When they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, can you imagine this? <laughs> Jesus says, bring it to him. And then they bring it to him, and all of a sudden, this more chaos is, is ensuing. So, you know, first he brings it to the disciples. They can't do it. And then Jesus says, bring, it to, bring the boy to me, and the disciples bring him, and then all the craziness happens all over again. Things got worse before they got better. Can you imagine and can you identify with this process? And then Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. So I love this. Jesus, before doing and fixing anything, invites them into conversation and says, how long has this been happening? And I wonder if this question addressed a deeper thing that was going on in his heart. I wonder if this father was thinking to himself, man, this has been happening so long. Like, how is this ever going to change? And Jesus invites him into the conversation that he may not want to have, he may not think to have, and he says, how long has it been happening? And, like, imagine... Like, it could just be a practical question, but imagine what the father was going through and him having to say, it's been happening since childhood. The entire, like, I don't know if this means that the child was actually more grown up, but his whole life, this child has been in this chaos and he has been hoping for healing and change. And Jesus says, how long has this been happening? And invites him into a conversation and addresses the deeper question. So then what does the man say? He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Like, can you hear the desperation in this? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So the man comes to Jesus in the midst of his doubts. And I think this is the part that's hard. It's, a, it's coming to the very one that you were doubting. Like, ultimately, I think the reason why we have a hard time with faith is that we doubt God. We doubt, does God really love us? Is he really good? Can he actually do anything? Can faith in God actually change anything? Or is it safer to just believe that on my own, I'm better? But this man takes a risk and he comes to him where he's at, if you can. So he doesn't know for sure that he can, but he says, if it's even possible, can you have compassion on us and help us? 
And Jesus replies to him, if, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus encourages him, which is interesting. Can you, if you actually put yourself in the story, and I don't know if you, when you read this, how you feel, but I, I wonder what he was feeling. Like, I can read that if I'm thinking about the things that have been hard in my life. And, and that's where I think it's a good test of where you're at in regards to unbelief or cynicism is like, what comes up for you when you read that? All things are possible for the one who believes. Does it bring up a twang of pain? Does it bring up, like, are you excited? And does it seem like, yeah, that's true? But I wonder for this man, he's already tried to believe that all things are possible and brought the son to Jesus, brought the son to the disciples. And I wonder what he thought about that. But the thing that's cool is that it doesn't really matter. He came as he was. So I think Jesus, the type of faith that God asks of us ends at the end of our own certainty. And even, um, yeah, so like if you can, there's a bit of possibility in that. Um, And then what does the father do? He says, immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. So he wasn't even certain of his ability to believe. He, he said, I believe. This is probably the head knowledge. I believe. I know I believe. But he actually was honest about the deeper root of unbelief that was going there. And he brought that to Jesus too. So it's, what you see here is just real pure relational honesty. And it's honest. He's doubting his own ability to believe, but he knows he needs to, and he knows he wants to. And so he just brings the whole mess to Jesus as it is. So then what happens? And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. <laughs> so it's funny. Okay, he is like, all things are possible. Like, and he comes in this vulnerable moment, I believe, help with my unbelief. And it seems like something's happening, but then his boy looks like he's dead. Like, again, this is something we can overlook and be like, oh, it's just... But think about being the father in that moment, and your son is on the ground, and he looks dead, and everybody around you is saying, he's dead. Like, can you imagine what he was going through? But then Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So... I think we can identify with what happened in the end too, that often we'll bring things to Jesus and sometimes it looks like nothing's happening. Sometimes it looks like our hopes are dead. Sometimes it looks like even things getting worse before they get better. And sometimes it looks like just, and all the people around you are saying, no, don't hope, like don't hope. Like they don't want to even hope for you because they're afraid of you being disappointed. But what we see is that Jesus calmly takes the boy by the hand, lift him, lifts him up, and he arose. And it's interesting because, uh, yeah. Yeah, we think that sometimes that things are hopeless, but oftentimes it's just that God isn't finished yet, that he's still in the process of bringing new life and resurrection. And it can take longer than we think. And if we fast forward in the um, gospel story towards the end of Mark and Uh, in the other gospels, like, it kind of foreshadows what's to come, right? Like, 
Jesus ends up dying. The one they are following ends up dying. And people are just wondering what's happening. And they think he's dead. And then God lifts him up and he rises up. And so there's hope for new life, but sometimes we're still in the process and God just isn't finished yet. And resurrection can take longer than we think. So here are the disciples coming back into this story. And, um, you know, imagine what they were going through. Jesus had taught them how to heal. He'd, they'd followed him. Um, and they actually stepped out in faith and actually wanted to try to heal him. But they were like, what happened? Why could we not do this? And um, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So it's not obvious totally what Jesus means by this in, in the passage. Um, and so, yeah, let's just kind of unpack it and maybe we'll and look a little bit further to see what it could mean. So what does that look like? What does it look like that it could only come out in prayer? Because he addresses them as an unbelieving generation and then he says, okay, this can only be remedied by prayer. So is this possible that there's some hints through what the father did? So he cried out. He said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I think, I think this points to what prayer begins like. And I don't, I don't know if this is act, this was actually considered a prayer, but I think this posture of coming to Jesus is the beginning of what he's talking about. He, this is a good example because he ended up seeing the thing, impossible thing that he was hoping for. But it's interesting because right after this story, like the very next verse after we finish this story, the disciples made a mistake. And I think it also points to what Jesus is talking about. It says that he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So it's interesting because it, it's like the whole idea of rising, arising is, I wonder if there's a, something that Jesus is trying to say here since it's right after this story. Um, but they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. So... Um, it's interesting because the disciples did ask them, Jesus, what their mistake was initially. Um, but when it started to get deeper and when it started to get harder and the things that Jesus was telling them just seemed outside of their frame of reference, they were afraid to ask because they didn't understand the thing and they were afraid to ask. And I think this kind of points to what Jesus is getting at. Um, yeah, and, and I think we can, again, identify with the disciples in this, that, um, you know, they, he, the, peop, the person that they were following was telling them that he was going to leave them <laughs> and be killed in a brutal death. So the, their avoidance to want to know about that is pretty human and understandable. But the sad thing is they didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. What would have happened if they actually did ask? So I think things can become more clear when we look at what Jesus did, when he was in his darkest hour, when he was at the point where um, things got really tough, where the things that he knew that he already had to go through, like as he talked about just in the previous slide, he actually started going through them. 
So it says, this is the story of Jesus when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is close to where, in Jerusalem, where he was heading towards his death. And he goes into this garden to pray. And, and he says, and when, they went, and when they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. So Jesus, in his deepest place of need, um, instead of being cynical and staying at a distance, he actually goes and prays. And he brings with him Peter, James, and John, ironically, who are, Peter is one of the ones who he knows will deny him and will let him down. And he invites them to pray with him. And if you read the story, they actually do let him down even in praying for him. But he still invites them along in the journey. Um, which is interesting because I think most of us, if we know that someone's going to let us down, probably wouldn't do that. So what is Jesus showing us here? Um, that kind of risk is important. And he was able to just pour his heart out to God and, and express his distress, his trouble, to admit that his soul was sorrowful even to death and invite his friends to remain there and watch. And then what does he say? says, going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. He's saying that again. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So just picture this. He was in the garden and he just fell to the ground. And, and you know, he asked that question, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Like, the fact that he knew that this had to happen, but he had the audacity to talk to Father God and say, is it possible that there could be another way? This is really hard. This is really painful, and I don't want to do it. Like, he knew he had to do it, but he didn't want to go through it. He, his flesh, it says later on in the scripture, like, the spirit is willing, and the flesh, but the flesh is weak. His flesh was here with him. And so he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So Abba, Father, it's like first he confesses that God is who he says. That's the most intimate um, word to call God, Abba, Father. And so instead of standing at a distance and being like, God, uh, this sucks, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, Abba, like, I know that you're the one who is calling me to go through this, but you are the very one that I need to rely on to get through this. And he says, all things are possible for you. That thing that he said to the others again, he said, all things are possible for you. So he knew it was possible that God could come up with another way to do this. But, and then he says, remove this cup, please take it away. But then he surrenders. He says, not what I will, but what you will. So there was something in his confidence in God that he was a good father who loved him, who created the world out of nothing and had good plans for him that he was able to come to him this way in brutal honesty, but also in surrender. So I just thought that we could take a minute to come to God like this. And what I'd like you guys to do is just to quiet yourselves and you can close your eyes if that feels good to you. Um, and you can either picture yourself in either of these two stories. Um, you can picture yourself as Jesus with the cup in front of you. Uh, if it helps you to, that's a metaphor, but if it helps you to picture a physical cup, 
do that. Um, or if you want to picture yourself as the father sitting there holding the boy and trying to give it to Jesus, that's cool too. But whatever works for you, or it works for you to identify with any other person in the story, but just quiet yourself. And in that image, just think about something on your heart that feels overwhelming, that you're lacking faith and you're feeling a bit cynical about. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's hope for something to change. And anyways, you know what it is. And just want you to take a minute and just bring that to Jesus in all the honesty that you can. Be honest with God about what you want, would like for him to do with that thing. Now, if you can, um, I invite you to give that cup or give whatever it is that's holding you. Give it to Jesus and surrender. And if you can, pray a prayer of surrender, whatever that looks like for you. So Abba Father, we thank you that you're a good father and that all things are possible for you. Father, we ask that you would take those burdens, those things that we are holding on to, those disappointments, that loss, that hope, the thing that you're asking us to give to you. And we just ask that you would take it and you would hold it and that you would do with it what your will is, God, not our will, but your will is. Give us the courage to let it go and trust that you are a good father. Maybe for some of us that looks like actually giving in to having hope and trusting that you can change a situation. 
And for others, maybe it looks like letting go of something we really, really wanted and trusting that you have new things for us or different things or things in a, that will manifest themselves in a different way. And maybe for some of us, that looks like our whole lives. Maybe we're cynical and, and or we maybe we're moving towards belief that you actually are God and that you have the power to transform lives. And so if you're here today and you're wanting to give your life to Jesus and trust him for the first time, we just pray with you and Jesus receives that and receives you. So Father, thank you that your will be done and we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. So one thing I wanted to mention about that story and following Jesus' example is that Jesus went again and again he went away and prayed saying the same words. So Mark 14, 39, in that story, Jesus didn't just go once and pray. He went three times in that particular story. And I think that's an encouragement to us that it doesn't change overnight and that Jesus went to the Father as long as it took for him to have peace and resolution about what was going on. He didn't stand at a distance at the first time when God didn't answer in this way that he needed. He kept going back. And I think that's something that we need to do too. And finally, I want to give an encouragement. Um, this is another, the third place in Mark where it says that all things are possible. And this is um, when, right after Jesus telling this story about a rich young ruler who was like, oh, what must I do to be saved? And then Jesus says to him, you got to give up all your money and fo to follow me. And he ended up being really sad and sorry about that because that revealed what his deepest identity and security was. Um, and so his disciples are... Uh, asking him, so how is it possible to follow you? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For, God, for all things are possible with God. And then Peter replies, see, we've left everything and followed you. So just think about Peter in this moment. He's like, I've left everything to follow you. Um, and then Jesus encourages him and he says, I Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions like Jesus had, <laughs> and in the age to come, eternal life. So I just want to end on this that... I think we can sometimes land in one of those two camps. We'll try to get everything right now and we'll want now in this time all of the things that we desire. And if we don't get them, we'll hold God at a distance. Or we can go on the other side and we'll be like, oh, well, we live in a really broken world and the things that we desire won't happen in this lifetime. And uh, they'll happen when we're in heaven. And both camps and both extremes are wrong. There are things that God wants to give us this, in this time, in this life, that will make up for hundredfold for the things that we've had to give up, the hopes that we've had to give up, the desires we've had to give up, the practical things we've had to give up for Jesus. 
there are things in this time that if we remain cynical and unbelieving that we will not receive because we're going to hold God at a distance and miss out on the things he wants to give us. And the cost of that is not just us. It's also the world around us that needs hope, needs change, needs life. And so we hold God at a distance and don't believe. How can we be givers of hope to others? That there are things in this life that we will not get. But the promise is that in the age to come, there will be a time where we have everything our hearts desire, where we have every hope we desire, we have everything that our heart needs. We will get it one day if we turn and repent and come to Jesus. We will get everything we desire, everything we need, and more than that we can't even imagine. So that's how we can have hope in this life, that some of it's for now and some of it's for later. So the challenge for us is to keep on believing. So just a couple questions, an invitation to end. Will you continue to bring your cynicism and unbelief to God and let him help you move forward in faith, towards faith, that he is good and it is possible that he is the one who will give you what you truly need and desire? And second, will you come to him honestly with your troubles, your sorrows, your disappointments, your doubts, your questions, and open your hearts to receive what he is trying to give so you don't miss out and so we can be a part of what he's doing to bring hope to others? So these are two challenges for us. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.